Hello, friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I'm so glad to welcome you into the same place. It's a place of inclusivity and safety for any conversation to be heard. The safe place began as a image in my head of a wooden cabin on the lake. My own place of mental safety. And I welcome you here to listen to discussions on mental and physical health mental illness and mental and physical disability. You may hear stories that inspire. You may hear stories that make you cry, both in sadness and happiness. But always told from a place of truth. And we hold dear the principles of love, kindness and compassion. Now, with that all said, it's time to hunker down, get comfortable, so we're ready to welcome you in too. A safe place. Hello and welcome, Julia. Thank you so much um, for coming on to the Safe Place podcast. Um, it's a real privilege to have you on uh, for many reasons, but one being your tremendous career, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But also, you just had a really interesting, um, interesting life from what from what I've been able to uh, to explore. Um, what I'd like to kind of start off with then is kind of where your where you began and and kind of how that has come about to uh, end up um, well not end up but head towards the um, the writing that you then did um, what. 10 years or so ago now, uh, around that sort of time. So you were born in Lambeth. Yep. And you had, you were born in Lambeth, but you were educated in French schools. Have I got that right? Yep. So what? So where, what? how did that come about? Oh, my father had a um, – came from a humble background and uh, – Actually, it was the war that gave him opportunities. And when wow. he'd finished, um, he uh, he was persuaded that education was key and he could only afford to send his sons to um, private school. And he heard that if you couldn't send a daughter to private school, the French Lisa in London was pretty good. It's a state school. Yeah. So I went to the French Lisa in London, not speaking a word of French, and... <laughs> But he was a trader anyhow, so he moved around the world. And the great thing about French education is you can move from one school to the another. Yeah. Even if you even if you move midterm, you're reading the same books because there's such a fixed national curriculum in France. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's sort of perfect if you move around the world. And 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 how long did that carry on for? Oh, I don't know. I I ended up going to university in the UK. Mm. I went to the London School of Economics. Yeah, and graduated with an e- economics uh, yeah, degree. Yeah, I didn't do any economics. I don't know any economics. <laughs> <was. laughs> you know, French education made you work so hard. Yeah, okay. And then when I got to British University, I couldn't believe it was so lazy, so I never really did much. <laughs> well, I, I, I did a, uh, a history degree for my first degree and, and ended up in, in banking many years later. So, well, it serves uh, you right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, obviously, moving about, moving from, from different countries and, and having that, that kind of consistency through your education, how do you feel that's then influenced you later on um, as your career has gone? Um, I think, do you know, a uh, long time ago, a friend of mine became the editor of the Jewish Chronicle. He was somebody I'd known since I was three. And right. I phoned him up and I said, congratulations, that's totally brilliant. Don't you have to be Jewish? And he said, Julia, have you never noticed? We've known each other for 30, no, 40 <laughs> years. Have you never noticed? And everybody was different. Wherever I went, there was never a majority and so I am uh, pathetically blind to difference often, which means I blunder into things wrongly. Yeah, okay. And um, so it's an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage. You know, you, mm. you just don't spot it. 
And, and, and do you think you've you've become more honed at that over the years, or, or do you think that's becoming more difficult? Well, the mistakes I make must, you know, you either <laughs> you either learn from them or you don't. <laughs> Certainly, I've tried to learn from some of them, so I hope I've got better at it. Um, and spotting how it's like, I would hope that um, I come across as a friendly person and um, a relatively humble person in my behaviour. But, and I think I do on the whole when I'm in the UK, but if I behave in exactly the same way when I'm in South Asia, I do not come across as friendly yeah. and as humble. Um, you know, you have to learn to, to, to how, to, how, to, how to come across differently in different cultures. Mm. And and so yeah, I've learned a lot about that. And I've you know I've now got grown up kids too. So I've 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 carried on having to adapt. You know I've got um, sons in laws and daughters in laws and lots of diversity in my family. And so yeah, no, I think you either carry on learning or you don't. And mm. I think I probably have carried on learning. Which is which is a definitely the way that people should go about as they uh, as they get older um, well, you, you, it is worth you know my father used to say the word wisdom is a con it's just a word to make you feel better about getting old and 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 i do think that as i get older and i see friends around me you know they become more and more convinced of their own rightness mm. and there's a real danger that you do that and don't sort of learn from your mistakes and move on and learn and learn and learn and adapt and adapt and adapt. Yeah. I, I must, I see that in, in my own family dynamics. Um, I mean, my, my mum passed away a few years ago. Um, so she's not, not around anymore, but my, my dad's still is. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see how he adjusts or in, in many cases doesn't adjust to, the world as it is now um in particular things that that i just i i will look at from my lens of being you know mid-30s being fairly well well-rounded across um different um kind of sectors of religion and 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 um uh, ethnicity etc and from experiencing disability myself so i have i have some experience in that sense too but then how he will then look at something is almost as if it is kind of 10 years ago. And he does that not because he's not perfectly well-educated and perfectly capable of adjusting his mindset. It's because he kind of feels like he's earned being just whatever he wants to be, that he's kind of got to that age where he just thinks, well, actually, I can be that. I, I, I can be a bit of an arse or, or whatever it might be. And what a depressing story. Yeah, and, and we had a real good talk about it over the last, probably the last couple of weeks mainly, because I, I, I just was of a mind of, this just doesn't feel right, particularly when he's looking after my little boy. Um, and it, yeah, my little boy's four. So he's 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 at that sort of age where really that is you're absorbing so much, you're taking so much in and really developing in 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 your own little person. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that he was not saying things that I completely disagree with um, when when he's around. And he didn't he didn't understand that, or rather he didn't see himself in the way that I'd seen him. And it took me actually saying to him, look, I think actually we, you, you kind of need to, at the very least, reserve some of that, that, that vocalisation of what you might be thinking um, because that's not who you are. That's not the person um, that, that I think you, you want to be either. Um, and it kind of got me thinking a little bit about the, the kind of core elements and the flex elements that, that you have in um, – in the cultural intelligence book and how, how that kind of dynamic. And I think there was a Ted talk that you did 
uh, or a TEDx talk um, where you were talking about your grandparents and and how they were at kind of one end of the scale. Um, do you see that as a kind of commonality these days in 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 people getting older, or like you were saying there, is it within your gift to change? Well. Um, good on your father that he listened, mm. because I am absolutely sure there are lots of people who wouldn't even listen to what you were saying. Yeah. And certainly my mother would never have listened. She would just sit there stubbornly saying, you know, and she loves that expression, you know, I think it's very important to bring people a pe- down a peg or two. And you sort of go, oh, yeah. where does that come from? Yeah. You know, um, so she thinks it's her sort of... um. It's not just her right to be right, but it's her right to prove that everybody else is wrong. But <laughs> yeah. um, so wait a minute, what were you saying? My my um, wait a minute, what was the question? You, my grandparents. My grandparents were, yeah, they were all core, and they had almost no flex. And core being, you know, the stuff that you do or say or believe that that um that if you stop doing or saying or believing it, you wouldn't be you anymore. Mm. And the flex being not the stuff that you can be flex about and you can sort of flow around in, but the stuff that you have absolutely deliberately said to yourself, I will always be flexible on this subject. So it's a conscious decision. Yeah. And um, certainly my grandparents had a tiny flex and a vast core and, and it grew and grew as time went on. And, I think, you know, I can feel it coming up. You know, you you, you do, I don't know, it's a weird sense. I mean, I'm 64, but you can feel it grow. You have to make a deliberate effort to to push it back down again. Yeah. Um, You know, for example, I had masses of children, right, and people sort of say, what do you do at this age? And I always say, I have no idea, I can't remember. You know, because otherwise... You start lecturing other people on parenting in a way that is horrible mm. and definitely not modern. Mm. So best to just say shut up to yourself and, and as, again, my father would have said, switch the wireless from transmit to receive. <laughs> I like that. Because I think it is a skill, isn't it, that that we often – at best minimise but often forget about and that and that is that receive element. It's the, the the real listening to to others that are around us and not just I suppose it's not just a case of simply listening in the sense of, you know, I can listen to a conversation, but whether I've actually taken that process, the thought around, well, what does that mean? And but it's if also, I say it's this. also surely also says me interrupting you. But it's surely also about absolutely, and I don't know how you do it, but I try to do it, is absolutely getting the message across to the person who's speaking that there is nobody on earth that you want to be talking to more than the person who's standing in front of you. Yeah. And and that is that is really, really important. And then to me, it's listening, but also saying in that sentence, you use this word. Why did you use that word? It's, you know, mm. really, really being curious, yeah. really showing and being absolutely fascinated and never, ever missing an opportunity uh, to, to, to find out more, to learn more, to understand more. And to accept that very often whatever your version of things was might have either been wrong or moved on. Hmm. And in particular, something that I find personally fascinating is when you're recounting a memory or a particular memory of a conversation. And and, and so I, I, I live with something called dissociation. Um, so there are real big pockets of my of my younger life where I don't know what the reality was. I just don't know because it's just how my brain's my brain works. But equally there's times that I really clearly remember. And I've got two brothers, one older, one one younger. And I will speak to them about those events. 
And each of us will have a different recollection of that event and, ha- and how they have then seen that through their own lens. So I think sometimes when we're, when we're, when we're really engaged in that person and in that event and, and what they're saying to us, it's also kind of almost checking ourselves of the reality of what we're, of what we're observing and listening to. Because it's very easy, particularly later on, to kind of gray the areas around that conversation. And that's, that's not just listening in the, in the um, immediate sense. It's also you utilizing that later on for your future conversations with that person and for your future, um, it could be negotiations. It could be a workplace thing where you've had conversations with somebody else and, and, they, and you've got two different versions of, of the events. At some point, you've got to be able to bring these things together. And I think it is very easy to miss during the conversation that self-check um, of, well, actually, am I really am I really thinking about it now? And also, um, you know, I tend to often get quite strident and a bit too forceful. And, you know, I leave a conversation thinking that we've agreed something and we haven't. Either I've agreed with myself or the... <laughs> yeah. Or the other person has agreed with me because it's the easiest form of resistance and they're going to go off and do the complete opposite. Yeah. So it's it's also sort of counterbalancing your own instincts. and But, you know, your, what you just said then made me laugh because your son's, what, two? Four. Four. You wait till he's 34. <laughs> then he will be telling you stories about your parenting that you will remember very differently from how he remembers it. Yeah. And that that's a really humiliating experience. <laughs> and and that sounds very much like that's coming from from your own uh, your I'm own experience. Totally. <laughs> I usually end up in floods of tears. Oh really? No. Because <laughs> I want to backtrack and I don't want to do it that way. Well, I didn't <laughs> think I'd done it that way. But it, it is, it's like reading a newspaper story. You know, if you know anything about it, you re- you recognise quite rapidly that what you know actually happened has very little to do with what's written in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I, I suppose there's an, there's an element of that that kind of comes to your, your CQ, so your cultural intelligence piece, because some of that is, is your traditional... IQ is being able to actually observe what is going on and and take those elements and 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 think about it. And you've got your emotional intelligence aspect, and then you talk a lot about the cultural side um, of that. So in in a conversation, how would that all piece together? Maybe I am uniquely qualified to talk about IQ because I suspect my IQ is not very high. I I don't really, apart from the fact that IQ helps you to assimilate information quickly Mm -hmm. and process it, and I'm dyslexic, so it doesn't really help me at all. Um, You know, IQ is very important. It is very helpful, but it's... It's an incredibly limited intelligence. Yeah. And then EQ is without doubt very useful. I mean, I find it immensely tedious because everybody says, hey, the woman, the woman knows about the EQ. And you sort of go, oh. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I object to that on the basis of the human rights of my sons to have EQ and not be women. But I think that, you know, EQ is interesting um, but the really interesting thing is, is, is do you have cultural intelligence, the ability to work with people who are not like you? Mm. And everybody always immediately goes to whatever the cultural difference is that, that, that's top of their list. But the truth is that there are many different things, you know, tall people and short people, yeah. fat people and thin people. Yeah. Um, and how you move around, you know, whether you were born 7,000 miles away from the other person, whatever the colour of your skin was, um, 
all kinds of differences. There are so many, whether you work in the private sector or the public sector, or you, whether you're a sort of horrible banker or something like that, you know, the there are so many cultural, and, and all of us are such a, 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 a collection of different cultures put together. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't believe anybody's ever going to have the same core as you because they won't have the same mixture of cultures as you. It's, it's, it, it, your cultural intelligence is, is almost as unique to you as your DNA. Yeah. And... and I think um, cultural intelligence is incredibly important, especially in a world where people are moving, where solutions require generations to work together, um, especially where you're wasting 50% of the population's talent because you're not using the talents of women the way they could be. You know, there are... The, the world faces such huge and complex problems. The thought that it is only um, white men who are going to fix them is ridiculous. I would very strongly agree, yeah, as a white man myself. So, so you have to have cultural intelligence. You have mm. to be able to work with people who are not like you. Yeah. And, 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 and not just to thrive you know, you, you talked about my childhood. The, the thing that terrifies me the most is homogeneity. You know, there's meetings where people start nodding to each other before they've even finished their sentence because they want to, because they all agree so yeah. much. And, you know, I just, just, I remember really behaving badly at a meeting. It was a meeting. I was the only woman. Everybody was a male. Everybody had a tie on. And I, I don't know, after a while, I just, it brings out the worst in me and you start behaving so badly. And I, I remember saying, do, you, do all your wives look the same? And do they all choose the same ties for you? Let's have a look at your socks. Has anybody got any variation in their socks? Yeah. You know, please, please, please tell me that this isn't a version of Stepford Wives. Stepford Husbands. And 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 it's you know homogeneity to me is a terrifying state. It it, it means that there won't, won't be innovation. You know, to me, uh, it's a silly expression, but it means a lot to me. You know, innovation comes from well-led discord. Yeah, you need the discord, but you also need it to be well-led by somebody with decent cultural intelligence. And um. But you need the energy of difference. And um, cultural intelligence is crucial to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's, there's a huge, huge drive, um, particularly in, in the banking world, which I'm in, um, to kind of try and balance that, that kind of book of, you know, where, you, where you've got the very atypical white middle class male and that's your board but and that that might have worked once upon a time and i remember going into banking and there was a there was a chap that was the regional director um and i know i struggle with i don't like wearing ties i never liked wearing ties Um, when i got married i wore a bow tie because i just i just can't have what i see as a as a literal noose around your neck i just don't understand the the mentality of wanting <laughs> wanting that around my 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 neck, um, but he was the polar opposite. He was exactly what you described there. As he was a red tie, black socks, black shoes, uh, black suit. That was what he wore all the time. I'm sure he didn't wear that outside of work, but within work, and I didn't. And immediately, that then led to difficult discussions for me um at being that slightly different person um to his to his norm you're not, actually, not slightly different crazily different in his i mean he he like your father has decided that he's earned the right to wear whatever clothes he wants to yeah and to demand in a way that you wear whatever mm. clothes that he wants you to wear but um 
you know, sometimes you can get obsessed by clothes and actually it's it's what's in the head that that matters. And um and you know, some 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 people surprise you. You you know, you, you think, oh heavens, not one of them. And then they open their mouth and you go, This is the most fascinating person I've met in a long time. Yeah. So the, there's there's a lot of variation in all of that and you know uh, about a year ago i started saying i would do lots of talks to um women empowerment programs because i've written a reasonable mm. amount about leadership and i'm a woman and i and i said i would do lots and and it was it was a good time to be doing them because i i'm I don't find it frightening to talk on Zoom. And, you know, it was absolutely fascinating. All of them, wherever you were speaking in the world, you would say, you've come on this women empowerment program. Let me see your reading list. And it would all be books written by men. Yeah. Or it would be books written by women about how to succeed in a man's world. And, yeah. you know, neither of them are of any interest to me at all, which is, you know, why I've now launched this expedition to try and find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. Mm. But it it is that sense also that your that boardroom has probably got some really possibly interesting women on it who wear a red scarf and a black suit. and um, appropriate heels and um, were chosen because they wouldn't rock the boat. Mm. But I, I think there, are, I think I have a, observed a shift and it's probably since the pandemic hit, um, but perhaps that's just an easily identifiable time to, to kind of look back at because it will see it's a significant event for us all. But certainly over the last few years of moving away from one, what you look like. So whether that's clothes, whether that's um, facial hair, because it used to be a really big thing that you weren't allowed facial hair at all if you were if you were in banking. Um, and you know whether it's that that lady in a red scarf and and appropriate shoes. You know if that works for you, then great. If that doesn't, then equally great. Yep. And and I think there is, hopefully, the, the the kind of tipping point across a number of different areas where actually we're starting to increase diversity. There's an area that I feel probably is underrepresented, but before I kind of put my two cents in, do you think there are particular areas that we need more focus on? Um, particularly in the kind of corporate environment to ensure there's more diversity of thought as much as anything else. I, you know, people say to me, why are you obsessed with the issue of diversity in women? And, and they say, you know, we've made progress. And they always say it rather earnestly, we've made progress. And you say, tell me what a computer looked like 30 years ago. And tell me what a computer looks like now. And then you go through a list of things, what they were 30 years ago and what they look like now, and the speed at which things have changed. Yeah. And then you say, look at the speed of change on the subject of gender. And mm. and it is it's immensely sad. And and I do think COVID has reinforced that. Yeah. So uh and as you know, issues of disability matter to me an enormous amount uh, and uh, at a professional and at a personal level and issue all kinds of issues. But I think the missed opportunity of not using the talent of women right across the world is ludicrous. You know, <clears throat> during COVID, everybody kept on saying, you know, when we're through this, things have got to change. And and you, you sort of yeah. thought, right, okay, um, as far as I'm concerned, they won't change. They absolutely will not change um, because they don't change. 
But one thing that guarantees that they're not going to change is is if it's the same leaders. Mm. That guarantees there won't be much change. And to my mind, the quickest way of flooding the market with a new group is women. And so at the moment, I'm not just talking about the UK. I mean right across the world. And so, so to me, the opportunity is women. Uh, and 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 within women, of course, there's an enormous amount of diversity as well. Yeah. But um, and and I think that you know one of the big things we're looking at on the expedition, or there's a group of the of the 24 women on the expedition who are looking at it, uh, is you know this sort of um, you know, women are more empathetic, women are more all these all these words, and and they. They have quite quick association with motherhood, and yeah. it all sort of gets scrambled up. And um, so, I think there's, there's quite a lot of things that need a bit of unpicking here. Um, but and and uh, Hinamoa Elder, who's one of the women on the expedition, is 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 bravely going to places that other people wouldn't go. But. Um, I think women is a real opportunity, and I think that women. I was talking to a, a captain of a rugby team, a woman rugby team, very successful one, and she was saying to me the other day, you know, women have their hundred thousand hours of experience on relationship building by the time they're eight years old. This is an edge. Yeah, we need to use it. I, it, I always find the the topic of of why women aren't in the kind of in particular in the senior roles because I mean certainly in in my industry you see plenty of women that are in more junior roles and kind of in that middle management roles and then you get to the senior and it's predominantly if not entirely um, men. Um, but actually, if I look back at all the best or most inspirational or just the ones that drove me the most, the ones that changed me the most. Or the um, most human ones. Or the most human ones. Um, they've all been female, bar one guy um, who was just an exceptional leader. He was just probably the best leader I've, I've ever come across. Um, but I, don't I, th- I don't think leadership is gendered. Um, no. But uh, but by definition, women have been on the outside for a very well, it's, long it's time. It's that different lens, isn't it? And that, that therefore makes them look at leadership in a slightly different way, even if it's not a female way, it's an outsider's point of view. Mm. And, and so I think that, that produces a difference. But, you know, again, on the expedition, there are quite a lot of people. Well, there's, it's sort of half of the women are in developing countries and you know at the beginning they were all quite polite and didn't take particularly me on because they didn't want to offend me but you know now they really are getting to the point of you know what did colonialism do to women in our country sent them all back to the kitchen Um, and many of the countries that were colonized were matriarchal societies Mm. Uh, it's it's it uh, the, as I say the expedition has just blown my head apart on lots of these issues, but um, but let's go back to you. Wh- which is the diversity that you think would add most value in sorting out? So the one that I've personally observed is is people with disability, yeah. um, and it's for a number of reasons. One because I think there's a huge population in in the yeah, within the, the kind of group of people with disability that just aren't in jobs at all, that actually have very, very utilizable, if you think of it as a commodity, skills, it's just that people are scared of it. Um, and yeah, you particularly see that with neurodiverse um, individuals where because they think in a different way to the norm, it, people find that difficult, but actually at the same time, because they think in a different way to the norm, 
that's really advantageous. That's where the, that's where the edge comes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And and also, and I, I suppose this is this is probably similar in nature to to the female um, argument uh, in in this topic, but it's that stuff that you've had to deal with. So, if I take myself, um, I've had. So I was born with my with my lower limb condition, um, but I, after three or four surgeries, when I before my first birthday, was was able to walk and and even run, um, and I played sports and I did all sorts of you know really good things. I mean, I played rugby, I played basketball, um, tennis, all sorts of things that you wouldn't automatically link to somebody that um, experienced pain or or was disabled. But I've had that throughout my entire life. It's just that where I see pain compared to where somebody else sees pain is at a different threshold. And the thing that I've learned over the years is that every time something's come up, so every time I might have a little injury um, or something's more sore, I've been able to adapt and it's not a, necessarily a good behaviour now, but I've been able to adapt so that other people can't see that because I, I used to see it as a weakness. Uh, I don't see it as that way anymore. Um, but by, by, by being able to continuously problem solve from a very young age, actually it does give me a different set of skills to my peers. Um and I think there is great advantage in, in enabling that that part of the workforce. But also I think in terms of impact, you know, if I if if I look at some of the people I play wheelchair basketball with, just them being able to get out and play wheelchair basketball is a really big thing. Really, really big thing, really important for them. Um, and then if they score a basket, you will not see somebody happier than them because it's got so much meaning behind it because frankly a lot of their life is a real struggle and i think that's where also from a society perspective the impact on enabling people um in that in that disability group uh, is is really really probably the most impactful area that that, that you'll get in terms of really improving um a population's life um I don't know. I sound a little bit like I'm on a soapbox saying that, um, but it's something no, I'm I, very I, passionate about. And what I find, because uh, um, a lot of my kids have, um, have have autoimmune conditions, but you know the the um, all the talk versus the action. You know, when my son got diabetes, all the talk. Every time he had to see a doctor, guess what? He had to be taken out of school. Mm. And you sort of think, you know, I'd prefer you didn't give me the talk. But a long story, but it's the same thing. Everything has this sort of, um, you know, how do you hold down a job when you've got to see a doctor's appointment two or three times a week? Um, Because it's not designed to keep people who are disabled in, in work. So th- there is a whole attitude and a whole system here that just simply does not work. And yeah. it feels like it would work if anybody would recognise just what the prize is. Yeah. And, and it is a – and I think that it's not just limited. And I think if you've got somebody from a different background talking about the same topic that was passionate about um, – the LGBT community, as an as a as a easy mm. example, um, then they'd be saying the same thing about that 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 population. And I think there's some there's there's a slight trick that that we all miss in these different groups, in that actually what we need to be doing more of is using our combined voices um, and combined ability um, to actually make the change. Yeah, sometimes it does. We it does feel like everybody's trying to get their card to the top of the pack. Yeah, which which I understand. I really do. 
um, because why wouldn't you want to? Um, and tight funding. Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> Uh, particularly, I mean, if, uh, I think it was only only earlier on today that the Bank of England was talking about a year long recession and yeah. and all these different things. And we'll be lucky if it's that. I would I would sadly agree. Um, and you know, all these things in in have an impact across these different diversity groups because if you don't have the funding in place behind to really push the agenda on these, then you won't change it, but I really liked what you were saying before about making sure you had the leaders in place to enable that change. Um, and so, you've, I mean, you've been doing this um, woman emerging, emerging, sorry, since April 2020, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, where do you see this going? What do you see being the, the kind of the end, um, if there is an end? to 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 this this piece for you i see a lot of women saying if that's leadership we i don't want anything to do with it yeah and um it seems to me that that is that's 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 really dangerous mm-hmm. logical consequence of that is well <laughs> <laughs> Stuck in the, cycle. the playing field or somebody. Yeah. Anyhow, the so to me, it's it's um, this expedition is taking twenty four women and saying, "Come on, let's get out there, not to find the North Pole, but to find the approach to leadership that resonates with women, whether they're in a village in Connecticut or running a bank in Canada, and and to to find a way of expressing that approach to leadership and sharing it." And so that a lot more women say, if that's leadership, count me in. Mm. And, you know, the, <clears throat> the really important moment for me was this young woman that I was mentoring at the time in Indonesia who went for an interview for a, um, um, a scholarship for a PhD. And in the middle of the, the, the panel session, somebody asked her a leadership question and she answered it in a way that I suspect both you and I would answer it. And in the letter that refused her the scholarship, in amongst the reasons, was she was clearly not a leader. And she, she phoned me up and she said, Julia, next time should I give the man's answer? And, you know, it, it made me weep. Yeah. So I think that that we have to find a way of expressing leadership that makes sense for a lot of women and it has to be said for a lot of men at the same time. Yeah. And I think it needs a bit of reframing. So, so you know, that's a narrow objective and the last, whatever it is, 40 years will help me pull some of that together and the 24 women will modernise it and internationalise it and localise it. So I hope that we can really really deal with that that issue and express because you know back to my father again you know he used to say fish go dead from the head you know if you get the leadership wrong there's no hope Mm. if you get the leadership right who understands the issue of disabled people being employed here um things just change overnight yeah It's, it's sad but it's true you can have all the policies you like but ultimately, fish go dead from the head. And so I think developing leaders who are, and it's a silly thing to say, but the truth is I would happily lead the way men do if, it, if there was ever any evidence that it worked. But at the moment, I feel surrounded by evidence that it's not working. So I think it needs yeah. a bit of a rethink. I would agree. Uh, um, I, I'd love to say that I see that happening quickly and efficiently, and we'll be in. We'd better have this conversation in a in a year's time, and it would all be different. Um, I think it's it's a, it's one that might take longer. 
Um, do you have a particular time scale that you nope. that, you, that you see that as? Nope, not a clue. But in terms of my commitment, it's there for as long as I can add value to it, and then somebody else will add value to it. Yeah, yeah. If anything happens within a year, you know that you're either unbelievably lucky, or you're actually not addressing the problem properly. Yeah, so you're, um, you're putting anything the that's worth doing takes an awful lot of time and is complex and messy. So, uh, uh, very much commit to that. But I think just changing the narrative a bit. I think narratives are often under under recognized you know you change the narrative and quite a lot can change quite quickly mm. so so i hope to add value on that but who knows yeah i think it's it's a more recognized skill as well now that that kind of that storytelling piece so the narrative around and it can be as simple as as why we do something why we make a change um you know, it's 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 fine to make the change, but if people don't understand why you're doing it um, and the behaviours that are going to drive that stories, forward, then what's stories. the point? You know, a young woman in Rio, I said, uh, she's, I haven't seen her for years, and I, she, I said, will you help on this? And she said, absolutely. And I said, but you don't know who I am at all. And she said, yes, I do. And I said, what do you mean you do? She said, I remember you making a speech about 20 years ago. And I said, do you remember the speech? And she said, no, but I remember the story about the socks. Yeah. And it's true. You know, she wouldn't remember the title of the speech, but she remembers the story about the socks. Yeah. And, um, you know, the stories are what sticks. The, the stories are what make things make sense. They they touch you and, and you remember them. So, yes, the power of the stories, and if you do enough stories, then hopefully you change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very... Just a fascinating topic overall. Um, I think I'm just I'm slightly taken aback, to be honest, by 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 our conversation. I've really really um, got a lot from that in a kind of personal sense. Um, I've got two questions that I'd like to ask you though, just okay. before we kind of decide to uh, to wrap up. Um, the first one is and. You might best tell this is slightly spurred by my by my younger uh, son, but think back to your five year old self. What piece of advice would you give, um, and and why? Switch the wireless from retransmit to receive. <laughs> like it constantly, and maybe you'd have to use slightly more modern words. Yeah, <laughs> it was my father, um, but uh, yeah, I think. I think overwhelmingly it makes you a better parent. And, you know, you've got a four-year-old, it's important to listen to the four-year-old, but, you know, if you don't listen to the four-year-old and then the 14-year-old and then the 24-year-old, you've lost them by the time they're 28. Yeah. And it works at work too, obviously. Of course, of course. And then also... (laughs) You'll have to just pretend for a moment that I am literally the world's best chef, the world's best cook. Uh-huh. So we're going to have well, a dinner. I'm, <laughs> I'm okay in, in reality, um, albeit I can't stand for long enough to, um, to, to cook, but mind. Um, firstly, dinner party, what would, what would be your, your meal? Um, no uh, idea. I, wouldn't, no. I won't even notice the food because okay. I'll be listening. Yeah. No interest in it. Excellent. As long as there's lots of fruit, then I don't mind. Okay. And what I think you will probably be more more interested in is there's four there's four chairs at that, that table. Who would you um who would you have there? I would think you, because you know, it's frustrating meeting people for an hour and thinking, Oh, there he's interesting and then you meet them on Zoom and then you never see them again. So I'll have you. You'll have to pitch up. Definitely my dad, You and I don't have to explain why. It's pretty yeah. obvious. I remember someone saying to me, well, who will you de- devote this book to? Will you devote this book to, to your father? And I said, no, that's a bit pompous. I don't want to do that. And she wrote me a lovely note afterwards saying you didn't have to devote it to him. He was, in, oh, he was on every page. 
Um, so you and my father and uh, I think there are all kinds of extraordinary people who are wonderful. I think probably I'd want Donald Trump for about three minutes he'd stay at the table. <laughs> yeah. So that I could get a chance to tell him just what I think about him. Yeah. Um, you know, when he got off that bus and said those things about women, I thought that was the end of him. But it's amazing that it wasn't. Indeed. Um, so, so once you could say something, he wouldn't listen anyhow. But at least you'd feel better that you'd yeah. you'd had the moment to say what a total rat he was and yeah. what he was doing to the world in his selfish quest of power and wealth. And and then the third person, I don't know. You know, I hate putting people on pedestals. I think I'm doing a lot of work in Botswana at the moment. I think there were some unbelievable women who led Botswana. I think any of the women who have been powerful women in Botswana, a country where women are allowed to get to the top. Mm. I think I think I'd love to talk to them. So somewhere that's thousands of miles away and somebody I don't know and actually Probably somebody that nobody knows because, you know, if you get famous people, they just give you their radio stories. Yeah. They go into that radio voice and it's so boring. So you wouldn't you wouldn't want anybody particularly famous other than Donald Trump so that you could chuck him off the table. Yeah, and take great, great pride in doing so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a, a, a very good table. I'd be happy to be there. <laughs> yeah, you can help me chuck him off. Yeah, exactly. Physically too. Um, amazing. Um, I always end uh, any discussion on the safe place, just wishing you love, um, compassion and kindness uh, going forward. So thank you so much for joining, Julia. Um, it really has been a, a real a real privilege and, and pleasure talking to you. Really, really, really loved it. Thank you. Lots of love. Well, thank you, friends. That's all we've got time for today. I'm sure you have enjoyed uh, today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you rate uh, the episode and the show's five stars on whatever platform you might be listening on. And of course, please share your own stories and your own um, kind of thoughts and feelings of the episodes in the reviews. You can also find me on I am Gavin Clark and that's Clark with an E over on Instagram and you can search for the safe place uh, on there too it's a safe place podcast but for now I'll send you away with love kindness and compassion speak soon <laughs>